one of the ways that I plan to encourage you um, that you're doing a great job as a mom today is I want to show you pictures of children who are far worse than your children, okay? It's going to make you feel so good as a mom, you're not even going to believe it. All sermon long, I've got these pictures of terrible children who aren't yours. Here's the first one. At least this kid is not your kid. Whoa! You feel lucky, don't you? You feel lucky. <laughs> well, maybe you, uh, maybe you slacked and you took too long to buy your mom a present uh, this year. I've got three last-minute gift ideas for you. Check it out. Here's the first Mother's Day gift idea I've got for you. An all-seasons goat milk soap collection. There you go. If you're looking for something that's chemical-free, handmade, hydrating, it's goat milk soaps. One for each season. You can find those online or in a store near you. Go for it. Looking for another one? Check this out. This is great. It's called a compost cookie. No, no, it's not gross. It's got pretzels, potato chips, coffee, oats, butterscotch, chocolate chip. It's a compost cookie. Who wouldn't want one of those? Check it out. Here's the last one. This is the best one. This is a bed of nails acupressure mat. Is your mom under pressure? Aren't they all? Give her this Swedish mattress covered with 8,220 prickly plastic nails to stimulate her pressure points, giving her the relief and healing associated with acupuncture. Go for it. If you need a last-minute gift idea, write those down and go buy them today. Well, we love moms to feel great on Mother's Day. And as I was uh, thinking what to preach on today, you know, we've, we've uh, spent months now as a church going through the book of 1 Timothy. And do you know that Timothy's mom is mentioned in the Bible? So in 2 Timothy. But here we are learning about a letter written to this guy named Timothy, and his mom comes up in the Bible. So I thought it would be really cool for us to learn about Timothy's mom's faith and also to act as if she was the one here telling you of the things that she learned in raising this godly man, Timothy, who would have such an amazing legacy. So the the sermon is going to come from 2 Timothy today, chapter 1. Um, 2 Timothy, chapter 1. But get this. Timothy's mom is commended for raising her son to be a faithful follower of Jesus. God obviously now had huge plans to use her son. She had no idea. Uh, But her life was not ideal. In fact, she was married to a man who was not a Christian. And uh, her son was, you know, therefore half Jewish, half Greek, and so it didn't look on paper like this would be the man who would make such an impact in the, in the world in the New Testament. She could easily have lost hope that God would do awesome things through her son. And she also could have very easily stepped in the way of God's great plans and in fear could have called it off and said, I don't want my son to be a part of this mission. She could have. But she didn't. She had the joy of seeing God do amazing things despite her limitations. Timothy was a first generation man of God. If Timothy's mom was up here dedicating her little baby Timothy on stage, she would say, I named him Timothy. His name means honor God. She would have no idea, though, until the day would come what a great chance Timothy would have to honor God. Get this legacy. Timothy has two books of the New Testament named after him. He's mentioned in 12 books of the Bible. His name is mentioned 25 times total in the New Testament. He was with the Apostle Paul from the second missionary journey all the way through his death. They would do ministry together for two decades, and he was Paul's right-hand man. Timothy got to see most of the New Testament books written by Paul as they were being written. He got to deliver some of them to the churches, and his name is mentioned, as I said, in 12 of them. 
Wow, what a legacy. But it took the faith of his mother to set Timothy up for this amazing legacy. So imagine if Timothy's mother were here today and she said, I want to share with you some things I learned and relied on as I was raising my son to be a man of God. That's going to be the sermon today, as if she's testifying of God's goodness to us. What we'll find out is that God has a great plan to use our children to help us raise our children, but we have to also have the same faith found in Timothy's mother. Check out 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, where it says this. To Timothy, this is written by the Apostle Paul again, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you, constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, get this, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What would be if Timothy's mom was reading this and she was reflecting on how God has used and blessed her son, what would be the first thing she shared with us? Well, jot this down in your notes. Jot this down in your notes. I think she'd say this. God was the perfect father to my son. Verse 2 says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. God was the perfect father to my son. You know, the Bible teaches that God is a father, and he's the father of your children. They're his, and he loaned them to you. He gave them to you for a time, but they really belong to him. God is a father, and he's the perfect father. This is so important to Timothy's mother, who had a less than ideal marriage. She, being Jewish, probably longed to raise her son up in the Jewish faith, but dad wasn't fully on board with that. We know that because Timothy wasn't circumcised. In Acts chapter 16, we meet Timothy and it talks about how he wasn't necessarily being raised in every way according to his mom's Jewish faith. His dad was Greek. Nothing was mentioned about his faith. So uh, we, we assume that he was not a Christian. So Timothy's mom had the Jewish faith, taught him about the Jewish faith. He learned the Old Testament stories. But at some point when Timothy was very young, his grandmother and his mom got saved. So not only did he have that Old Testament heritage, but also his mom and his grandmother taught him the the truth about Jesus Christ. Timothy was likely born around or after Jesus had already died. So he had never met Jesus. He had to hear it from from that generation and they had to pass it down. Timothy had to get it from his mom. We know because of this that Timothy was raised by a dad who wasn't a Christian. He didn't have a dad handing down the faith to him. Not the Old Testament faith, or the New Testament faith. And Timothy's mom knew that, that tough dynamic of having to go it alone on many things spiritually, and perhaps even having to wrestle over how Timothy was going to be raised. This was the house that Timothy was raised in. But he had a perfect father in heaven, because it says here that from God the Father, grace and mercy and peace came to Timothy's life. Let me dig down a little bit on this idea that God is a father. God is a father, but we have to make sure we get this theology right. Understand, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the only natural son of God. 
Meaning Jesus is the Son of God, and he is, this, in this sense, the only child God has in this way. Jesus shares an exclusive, unbreakable, eternal bond with God the Father. Jesus is identical in activity, he's equal in nature, he's fused in essence, and he is inseparable from God, which is why God said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. That doesn't describe anyone else in this world but Jesus Christ. No one has been united to God the Father forever. Every one of us has been broken away from God through sin. We've been separated from him. And somehow we need to get back into his family, but not so Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, Jesus is an only child in this way. He is the Son of God. Maybe you're an only child. Are you an only child? Raise your hand if you're an only child here this morning. Go ahead, raise your hand up if you're an only Nice and high. Raise your hand up nice and high if you're an only child. All right, I'm not going to say this, but some people think that if you're an only child, you're spoiled. Because you didn't have to compete with the other kids for attention. You didn't have to learn to share your toys. You didn't have to count Christmas presents to make sure that everything was fair. I'm not saying it, but some people would claim that if you're an only child, you're spoiled. Check this out. This is a picture of an only child, and boy, is she spoiled. (laughs) Jesus is an only child. Therefore, there are things that belong to him that don't belong to anyone else on the face of the earth. The good news, though, is, because you're wondering, where does that put me? The good news is God is adopting children into his family through faith in Christ. Do you want to be a child of God? You aren't born a child of God in the fullest sense of the word. You aren't born a child of God. You have to be born again a child of God. Galatians 4, 4 to 6 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Do you want to be a child of God? Have you been wondering where the love of God is? Have you been asking yourself, where is God when I'm going through all this stuff? He wants to be in your life. He wants to be your perfect father. It's through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, that you become adopted as a child of God. When were you adopted into God's family? Do you have a story? Can you tell me when that happened? You see, your parents' faith doesn't make you a child of God. Because they have faith, you're blessed by their faith. But here the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, I remember your genuine faith. Meaning, I know your mama had it, I know your grandmama had it, but I know you have it. Therefore, God the Father is blessing you not just your parents. God was the perfect father to my son. Now you might be wondering, you know, uh, what that means. But the truth is, as you walk with Christ, you can say your kids have a perfect heavenly father watching over them. I don't know what kind of earthly father your kids have. I can tell you my dad was a crazy, zany, fun-loving father. I can tell you that. My mom had to go through some crazy moments because my dad always kept her on her toes. Maybe you're happy with your children's earthly father, maybe not. But let me make you feel good about the father of your children. At least this isn't the father of your children. Or how about this next one? At least this isn't the man who was your partner in raising these kids up. How about the next one? At least that isn't the guy entrusted with raising up. And finally, this isn't the guy who's raising your children. So you have a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for. For Timothy, he didn't have the ideal father, 
His father didn't concern himself with raising Timothy up in the faith of Christ. In fact, his father pulled against that. Yet still, God the Father was his perfect heavenly father. And do you know, moms in particular, do you know that, wow, how privileged you you are if you have a spouse who fully shares in that faith with you. And you know what, though? You're not married to a perfect man. Only God is going to be the perfect heavenly father to your children. And maybe you think to yourself, "My, my children, I don't know if they're responding to my faith. I don't know if they have my faith yet. Maybe my children have walked away from the faith. Do you know the Bible teaches that your kids have a special blessing of favor upon them just because of your faith? The Bible says that your kids are holy because of your faith. The Bible also says if you're married to somebody who doesn't share in your faith, that your husband is holy because of your faith. That doesn't mean they're saved. That means that they somehow are set apart and blessed by God in a special way because of your faith. Which means you can trust that God, a perfect heavenly father, is sending down his blessings on your children and his fatherly love and affection and his authority on them because of your faith. That's good news. Your faith is bringing God, the father, into your home. God was the perfect father to Timothy's mother and to Timothy. And it was because of her faith that Timothy had this perfect father. Well, what else would she say? What else did she learn? What else could she rely on? It goes on to say in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, the Apostle Paul says, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy and I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Paul remembers Timothy in prayer. He remembers Timothy's tears as he's serving the Lord with heart. And uh, they were torn apart for a time. And he remembers Timothy's sincere faith. Three things he remembers. What do we see here? You can write this down. God gave my son spiritual role models. Timothy's mom could say to you, you know what? God was the perfect father to my children and God gave my son spiritual role models. You have the apostle Paul here praying for Timothy night and day. In verse 3 it says, I constantly remember you in prayer night and day. I remember your tears. I remember that you're doing a hard work. And he says, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. And I remember your faith. This man, Paul, is looking after Timothy. Do you know what he is? He's the spiritual father that Timothy didn't have. And Timothy's mom can say, you know what? God brought this man into my son's life to show him what faith in Christ means, to teach him about the promises God made, to take him on this amazing journey of faith so that they might change the world together. We have that same confidence that God's going to bring spiritual role models into the lives of our children to teach them faith. Paul says here uh, in verse 3, I thank my God whom I serve as my ancestors did. What does that mean? That means that Paul sees faith in Christ as the natural fulfillment and extension of Old Testament faith. So she's not taking Timothy away from the faith that his mother had. She's taking Timothy toward the fulfillment of that faith they had. The Old Testament Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she can feel confident of the direction that her son was taken in. It also says here, I remember you constantly in my prayers. And they're shedding tears for one another. This is a great bond. In verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, my beloved child. He looks at this young man and sees him as a son and raised him spiritually as a son. Philippians 2.22 says this, But you know Timothy's proven worth, 
how as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. Wow. Paul sees Timothy as a son, raised him up spiritually, took him on this amazing adventure, and together they changed the world. And Timothy's mom could say, you know what? God gave my son spiritual role models. Don't read past the importance of prayer in this process. We see just how important prayer is. As Paul says, I pray, remember you in prayer night and day. Who are you praying for in the morning and in the night? Night and day, night and day. Pray, pray. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for your kids night and day? Paul could have said, pray? What does he need prayer for? I'm his spiritual father in the faith. I've seen heaven. I write entire Bible books. Behold, he's with me. Why does he need any prayer? Can you imagine if you asked your son who goes off to college, hey, hey, who's, who's mentoring you? Like, who's connecting with you? And your son was like the Apostle Paul. Who's leading your men's group? The Apostle Paul. Wow! And then imagine talking to this Apostle Paul, and Paul's like, yeah, I mean, night and day I'm praying for your boy. He's got a long way to go. There's a hard work ahead of us. I pray for him when I wake up. I pray for him when I go to sleep. Can you imagine Timothy's mom just saying, oh, oh, thank you, Lord, for bringing this man of God into my son's life. Thank you, Lord, for showing him the faith of the Apostle Paul. Prayer is so important. A couple weeks ago, we had our first ever men's chili cook-off here at Harvest Palace. And I, all the men sat in the first four rows here, and I had the opportunity of speaking to them on prayer. And I asked myself, what is prayer like? How can I convey to these men what prayer is like? And, you know, the best way I could describe it to them is prayer is a lot like a power play in hockey. The Hawks are doing really well, right? Check it out. This is a picture of the Blackhawks. But in this picture... Um, there's a problem. You see, the, uh, the Capitals, they've got a power play. What that means is the Hawks have one man down. There's only four of them in front of the net. And then, you know, the other team's got five of them swarming around. And so there's, they always have one man open. That creates an advantage for the other team. So all the Hawks can do is get close to the net and clog up the shooting lanes and hope that they can clear it out of the zone. Hockey is all about just getting a simple one-man advantage. Check this out. This next, this is actually good for the Hawks, is a breakaway. So now there's two on one, and there's two of them against one of the opposing team. And guess what happens? It's so much easier to score when you just have that simple one-man advantage. Prayer gives us a spiritual advantage in life. We could dig into the theology of it all, but the bottom line is, if you're praying, you have a spiritual advantage in life. If you're praying for your children, there is a spiritual advantage applied because of your prayer. If you're not praying, it's not like it's an even field. It's not like you're you know, at full strength. You're at a deficit. Lacking prayer is actually like a penalty. You're a man down. What did Jesus say to his disciples the night that he was betrayed? Hey, watch and, watch and pray. Pray. And they didn't. And they fell asleep. And they were taken out because of their lack of prayer. If you lack prayer for your children, it's like the penalty box. You're a man down. You're at a spiritual disadvantage in life. If you're praying for your children, there's a spiritual advantage because of the prayer that you applied. There's a whole lot more to it theologically, but that's accurate to say. Some people spiritualize prayer and prayerlessness, and they say, well, I pray just because, you know, I just want to know what God's going to do anyway. That's not a New Testament theology of prayer. 
Prayer changes things. And we need to pray like it's going to make a difference in the hearts of our children. Just like the Apostle Paul was praying night and day, night and day for Timothy. Sometimes people spiritualize prayerlessness. Well, God's going to do whatever He's going to do. doesn't matter if I ask. But the New Testament says, you have not because you ask not. Which means there's a whole long list of things that God has already said yes to if you pray. And if you don't pray, the answer is no. I don't understand all of it, but I know what the New Testament teaches. Are you praying for your children? Paul here was praying for Timothy. And Timothy's mom could say, God gave my son spiritual role models who were praying for them, forming their faith. And because of it, Timothy had a great legacy. Hey, I want you to be encouraged as a mother. I don't want you to feel discouraged. Like, I'm failing my children. I'm blowing it. I'm not praying enough for my kids. So allow me to encourage you once more by showing you a child who's a lot worse than your children. You ready for this? This is not your child. Check it out. That's glue. On a TV. Hey, aren't you glad that you're not raising that child? Don't you feel pretty good about your parenting? Whatever else you're doing wrong, that ain't your kid. (laughs) Moving along now. God was the perfect father to my son. God gave my son spiritual role models. Third, you can write this down. God used my faith to form his faith. God used my faith to form his faith. Here we arrive in verse 5, where Timothy's mom is mentioned. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Wow. She could say, you know what? God used my faith. I got it from my mom, and then I gave it to my son. My son's a first-generation man of God. And you know what? She could say, God used my faith as I passed it down to him. That transmission from generation to generation to generation is so big. It would have been hard for Timothy growing up. Because he was half Jewish, he was half Greek. That alone, that racial divide of being an interracial child makes him an easy target, right? The the Jews would see him as a half-Jew. They'd make fun of him because of it. The Greeks would see him as a half-Greek. They'd make fun of him because of it. And then on top of it, Mama comes home with faith in Jesus. Now he's not even really just a Jew anymore, and he's really not Greek. Now he's this new thing called a Christian. And both his Jewish friends and his Greek friends are like, you're a what? Now you're not even at all like us. He was such an easy target. And I can imagine Timothy's mom wondering at times, perhaps, what have I done to my son and handing him this faith? Now he's coming home and telling me how the other boys treat him and he doesn't fit with either group. Maybe she had second thoughts about giving him the faith. My husband's against it. His friends are against it. But she gave it to him. Grandma and mom handed the faith down to Timothy. She gave it to him, and God used that faith to form him. Where would he fit in in the world? How would he find his way? He's swimming upstream against the culture and the religion of those around him. And yet she gave it to him. How cool is it that she was rewarded? What's the best gift you ever got your mama for Mother's Day? Because Timothy got his mom into the Bible. Guess what I got you for Mother's Day, Mom? You're in the Bible. Top that. Grandma's in there too. What a gift. What an honor 
for his mother to be named among those of faith in the Scripture. What a legacy. Whatever else she did wrong, she did faith right. She gave the gift of faith to her son. But then came the point where the gift of faith she gave to her son, she would need to learn herself. Because the Apostle Paul came to town on his second missionary journey, A.D. 50. And he came to town and he saw this boy, Timothy. Maybe Timothy got saved earlier in his teen years when Paul first came to town on the first journey. We don't know. But here as a late teen, Paul saw this kid and everybody in the surrounding town said, hey, this guy's gold. He's got such a strong faith. And Paul said, I'd like to take him with me. Do you have a high schooler? About to go out and form his life plan? Imagine if Paul came to you and said, I'd really like to take your son with me. We're going to be gone two years at first. It's going to be dangerous. They've already thrown me in jail. They're trying to find me. Um, We're going to share the faith wherever we go, and I want your son to come with me. What faith it required for his mom to say yes. I'm sure there was a strong desire in her to protect her son, to say no, to let fear take over. But she walked by faith and she let him go. So in AD 50, off they went. And for two years on the second missionary journey, they, it's found in Acts 16. You could read it later. But as a late teenager, he goes to Galatia. He goes to Philippi. You know what happened in Philippi? Paul and Silas get beaten bloody. They get thrown in jail. And imagine this Skype call. Hey, honey, how are things going? Good, Mom. I mean, Paul and Silas, the mission trip leaders, are both in prison. What? Yeah, they got beaten pretty badly. They got thrown in jail. Where are you staying? With a stranger, some guy I don't really know. Oh, Whoa, Mom, hold on. There's an earthquake. Oh, I got to go. What? 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 You know the Philippian jailer? The earthquake happens. The cell doors burst open. This was like stop number two on the trip. And this would be a two-year journey. This is what she said yes to. Then the third missionary journey, off they'd go. Then Paul would be imprisoned and he'd head to Rome. There'd be shipwrecks. There'd be snake bites. There'd be, and, and Timothy was there. Timothy was there. In AD 60, Paul arrived in Rome. He was stuck there for years. Then he was released. And then he went on to do more ministry. And 2 Timothy is one of the later books written. So now they've been serving together for 17, 16, 18 years Almost two decades of service together, and Timothy's mom had to say yes to that at the beginning. It was her faith that she passed down to him. See, she could have let fear grip her heart. She could have have wrestled against God's plans and done the tug of war with God for her son and said, you're not taking him from me. I'm going to keep him right here where I can keep him safe. But instead, she walked over to the other side, and she said, all right, where are we pulling him? Where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? And she didn't let fear make the call. She let her son go off on a journey of faith. How do you model faith for those in your home, for your kids? Well, at Harvest, we have a really simple definition of what it means to express faith. We call them the three W's. Worship Christ is the first one. You can write these down if you want. Worship Christ means you prioritize getting your children to church. You let them see you sing with joy to the Lord. You let them see you learning from the Lord each week. That's what it means to worship Christ. And you don't let very many things cut in line in front of that family priority. Practically nothing keeps you as a family from church. That's what it means to worship Christ. The second one is walking with Christ. You let them see you. You let your kids see you growing in your faith with Christ 
individually through your own Bible reading and prayer, but also with other believers around you as you learn what it means to help others and to move forward. That's walking with Christ. It's your own spiritual growth in community and in your own heart. And then working for Christ, worship, walk, work. You let your kids know that even though you've worked a full week, even though you are worn out, even after every load of laundry is done and you've slaved to put dinner on the table, you also have another job you do at church. And you hold those babies in the nursery. Or you're here standing at the door greeting. Or you're hosting small group because you want your children to see you working for Christ in the church. That's what it means to model and display faith to your kids. And your faith will form their faith. It also means when the time comes, you let them go. You let them go. And you let the Lord be the one who takes them on a journey of faith. And they're not running to mom anymore. They're running to the Lord. Right? They're running to the Lord because you've given them faith, not fear. Timothy's mom could say, God was the perfect father to my son. God gave my son spiritual role models. God used my faith to form his faith. And then write this down. God gifted my child to accomplish his purposes. God gifted my child to accomplish his purposes. Reading on in verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. This is a bit of a confusing verse. Some scholars think that the gift of God in Timothy means a specific gift of the Holy Spirit, like his gift as an apostle and a evangelist and a teacher and Paul's saying yeah get that gift the spiritual gift that God gave you and like really increase that in your heart I think a better interpretation here is that the gift of God is the Holy Spirit it it is the Holy Spirit for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God the Holy Spirit in you which is in you through the laying out of my hands for God gave us a spirit now where it says spirit there in many translations it's lowercase s Meaning, uh, and again, there's, there's different sides of this, meaning they're claiming that this is Timothy's spirit and that they want Timothy's spirit not to be of fear but of power, love, and self-control. That could be true, and that could just mean as a result of the Holy Spirit's influence, Timothy's spirit is filled not with fear but of power, love, and self-control. But I think actually a better interpretation is that means God has put the Spirit, a Holy Spirit in us, capital S, not of fear but of power and love and self-control. The reason I think that that's the best translation is because later in 2 Timothy 1.14, we'll throw it on the screen, it comes back to this idea of the indwelling. And it says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So anyway, regardless of the theology, the point is God has gifted Timothy to accomplish his purposes. He did it by putting his spirit in Timothy through faith in Christ. Once the Spirit is in your child through faith in Christ, God goes to work doing so many things, giving them spiritual gifts and forming their heart to know and to love God more. But it's because of God's presence in Timothy's heart that he could fulfill God's purposes. It's through faith that Timothy was empowered to serve the Lord. But here's the thing. Paul is saying here to Timothy, I want you to fan into flame. Like, uh, you know, what's that called? When you fan a... You, you like stoke the fire... You know, you like, you know, use something to make the flame bigger and bigger. You're, you're throwing wood on it to make it bigger. And Paul is expecting Timothy to do this of the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in him. This is a poetic, artful way of talking about the concept of being filled with the Spirit. You see, when you're saved, God the Spirit comes in you 
you have 100% of God's Spirit living in you. You can't ever get any more of the Spirit than you got when you were saved. But the Spirit can get more of you. So we can be filled with the Spirit. It's a way of describing your current relational status with God. As you draw near to Him and you submit to Him and you surrender to Him and you focus on Him, you get filled with the Spirit. And as you walk away from Him and you give in to sin and you listen to your fears, you get empty of the Spirit. It's a way of describing your relationship to God as it stands right now. And so when you add fire, what that means is it's like the fire can burn brightly as the disciples on their road to Emmaus said, wow, as Jesus talked, weren't our hearts burning within us because we were so near to him and so attentive to him. And yet that fire can go out. The fire can burn low. Your zeal for the Lord can get so that it's dwindling, smoldering, and, and there's not much life there to your walk with Christ. This describes the dynamics of walking faith. God puts the Spirit in us so that we can be filled with the Spirit so that we can follow His purposes. And here, it talks to Timothy and says, you need to fan the flame. We learn, as if Timothy's mom could say this to us, she could say, God gifted my child to accomplish His purposes, but I had to fan that flame so that he walked by faith. Parents, the Bible here is calling you to be like a pyro parent. To be like a pyro, starting the right kind of fires in your kid's heart. Putting out the wrong kind of fires. As parents, have you ever literally put out a fire that your kid started? Raise your hand if you've literally put out a fire that your kid started. Yeah. I started a prairie on fire when I was a kid. When I was a little kid, I started a prairie on fire. And I went home and I was like, Dad, I started a fire. So he had to like smoke the berry to go out there, right? And he had to put the fire out. Check it out. But I didn't get in trouble because this, this is what I looked like when I was a kid. How could you punish that kid? I'm sorry, I started a fire. Get to your room. We put fires out, right? What, what's the Bible doing telling us to start a fire? God wants you to fan into flame the gift that God has put in your child. Now, we have many purposes for our kids, don't we? Maybe you value academics and you want your child to do well academically in school. And you're getting that fire going. Maybe you love the thought of your son or daughter getting a stable career in the medical field or in law. Or maybe you value business and you want them to do well in their career choice. And so you're getting that fire going and you're throwing logs on that fire. Maybe you value the arts and you want your child to learn to be a musician, to be a great musician, so that it will take them places and get you scholarships. And you know what I mean? You value that and you're building that into your kids' lives. That's all great. But let's understand that God has a purpose for the lives of our kids. And His purpose is primary and every other thing we want them to value is secondary. We get messed up when we want our plan to be primary and any other thing God wants to make, demand, He wants to make them is secondary. They need to learn that career comes first. No, they need to learn Christ comes first. Amen? Listen, they need to learn Christ comes first. Amen? And they live with open hands. And if God wants to take anything out of their hands that you put in their hands, God is free to do it. And if God wants to put anything in their hands, He is free to do it. See, if you surrender yourself before a holy God and allow God to do anything and make any demand on your child's life, they'll be free to walk by faith. 
But if you wrap them all up in these demands and then you start pulling against God in your direction and your heart is filled with fear at what would happen if they truly followed God with all their heart, you're pulling against God. God gifted my child to accomplish his purposes. I need to be pulling them in God's direction. How do I do that? Well, there's three things we're supposed to be building into our kids' lives and one thing we're not supposed to be building into our kids' lives. It says this, it goes on to say, God has, uh, verse 7, God has given us a spirit, not of fear, not of fear. So write this down as if you're praying it. God, empty them of fear. God, empty them of fear. Fear is a fire you're supposed to be putting out in your kid's heart. You're not supposed to be throwing logs of anxious, nervous, can't do that, don't know how it would end, how would God provide, you, don't, you can't go that far away, not throwing logs of fear on the heart of my child. And if a parent has a heart raging with fear, how on earth are they going to keep that fire out in their kids' hearts? See, we have to first put the fire out of fear in our heart. Then our kids can walk by faith. So we're supposed to like totally ice this. We're supposed to put it out. Uh, when I think of like throwing ice cold water on something, I think of that whole like ALS ice bucket challenge. How many of you took that like ice bucket challenge last year and you poured ice cold water? Somebody poured that on you. Uh, America's Funniest Home Videos released some like uh, ALS challenges gone wrong. Have you seen those? Here's a few of them gone wrong. Check it out. Uh oh. Bad idea. There goes the boat. (laughs) That didn't go so well. Alright, so the Bible is saying here when it comes to fear in the heart of my child, I'm supposed to get the biggest, tallest, bucket of ice cold water when I see, and I'm supposed to just put that out. Don't be afraid. God is with you. That's what I'm supposed to do. But too often, we throw logs on the fear. You're right. You shouldn't do that. Oh, that's a long way to go from home. We don't know how God's going to provide and we're fanning that flame of fear and nervousness. And where do they get it? Why are those so anxious? You. You. We're supposed to put it out. Do you know we can actually put out the wrong thing in 1 Thessalonians 5? Do you know that it says you can put out the Spirit's fire? Oh boy, God's doing something dangerous in my child's heart. I better get the tallest, biggest bucket of ice cold water I can before he gets... Don't you dare do that. We can put out the Spirit's fire. So we have to empty them of fear. Do you know what will empty your heart of fear? If you trust the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit, that wherever your kid goes, God is with them. And that he's a far better parent than you'll ever be. Psalm 139.7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Next time you get nervous about your child going out and doing some great thing of faith without you, just go outside like you did as a kid. Find your shadow and then try and race it. Remember when you did that as a kid? Try and race your shadow? You never won, right? Because your shadow and you are inseparable. Um, the Holy Spirit and your child are inseparable. They can't outrun God. When you trust that He is everywhere, then you can walk by faith and you can teach them faith. 
God, empty them of fear. God gifted my child to accomplish his purposes. He emptied Timothy of fear again and again. Write this down. Now, here's three things you're supposed to fill your child with. God, fill them with power. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. Power. The word for power in the Greek is uh, it's called dunamis. It's, you know, when they invented this thing, this explosive thing, I'll show you a picture of it. They, they invented this explosive thing. They didn't know what to call it. They're like, wow, it like goes bang. This is a military-grade version of this stuff. And they were like, you know what? Let's draw from this Greek word dunamis. Let's call it dynamite. Because that word means like, you know, bold, strong, and explosive. And so dynamite got its name from this word. And this is what God will fill his followers with if they trust him by faith. Start this fire in the heart of your children. It says in Colossians 1.11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Parents, ask this for your kids. Lord, fill my child with power. When they are weak, may you be strong. When they need to be a bold witness, give them courage. When they go through a trial and they're suffering, strengthen their heart. Ask for God to fill your child with power. And he will. The Holy Spirit is all about power. Do you know that if you trust the omnipotence, the all, the strength of the Holy Spirit in your child, then you can believe that God will get them through anything. In Luke one thirty-five, it tells Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It was the power of the Spirit that created Christ out of nothing, the miraculous conception. In Acts 1.8, it says to the church, you will receive power when he comes on you, the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15.13, it says, by the Spirit we have power to abound in hope for any future. Where does the power come that my child can live the life of God? Listen, when your kid is down and out and going through a trial and surrounded and, and, and alone, the, the last thing they should be thinking is, where's mom? The first thing they should be thinking is, where's Jesus? And if you train them to run to mom, it's not going to go so well. If you train them to run to Christ when they're weak, they're going to find power enough to create a universe. God, fill them with power. Fill them with power. God, empty them of fear. Next, God, fill them with love. We should be stoking this fire of love in the hearts of our children. In Romans 5.5, it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who He has given to us. We're supposed to start this fire of love for God and love for others. Our kids naturally get stuck in self-love mode, don't they? They want everyone around them to love them. Every time they go out, they want a toy. Can we get a toy? Can we get a toy? Like walking out the front door is like a trip to the store to get them a toy. They would love that. Can I get a toy? Can I get a toy? Can we go to McDonald's? Can I get a toy? Self-love! We have to get them out of that mode and get them into love God, love others. Love God, love others. God wants to teach them fear, uh, love. We need to increase this fire of love in their hearts. It's going to take work. The last one is self-control. God, fill them with self-control. Empty them of fear. Fill them with power and love and self-control. This isn't actually the, the word usually used in the Greek for self-control, which means kind of self-restraint. It's not about self-restraint in this sense. Underlying this word is actually the word usually that's translated prudence. 
Prudent means more having a healthy mind that's doing the deciding. So it means like to be healthy-minded, to think biblically. The opposite is to be wacky or polarizing or out there. And let's just admit the truth. The kids are born without self-control. Kids don't think clearly through their choices. Am I right? Check this out. This kid didn't think clearly through this choice. He's probably going after candy on the counter. He didn't quite plan that out. Mom, what were you doing? There's two bananas right there. You know, I wanted the cereal. It's 10 p.m. I'd love to know the story behind that. This next kid, this next kid totally lacking self-control. Didn't know when to stop. Didn't quite think clearly about the consequences of the actions there. We're supposed to be teaching them self-control. How? By giving them a biblical mindset, a healthy outlook. By thinking God's thoughts after him through the word. The bottom line is this, parents. There's an ugly energy of sin in our kids. We cannot tame it in them, but Christ can. And through Christ, there's a glorious, eternal force of godliness at work inside our children. Did you hear that? Through Christ, there is a glorious, eternal force of godliness at work inside our children, and we can fuel that flame. And the more we fuel that flame and teach them Christ-likeness to resemble and rely on Christ, the more they'll walk by faith. Timothy's mom, what faith she had to have to let her son go with this strange man off on this amazing adventure, death-defying trip. For 20 years, she doesn't know where he's at. She's getting letters. What happened? Earthquake, snake bite, shipwreck, jail. And it was her faith that let him go. And now his legacy in the Bible is unbelievable. The same will be true of your children if you teach them to walk by faith. Let me give you one last picture that's so encouraging on Mother's Day. These are some of our finest in the armed forces, and they're stopping to take a moment to wish their moms, in, in a creative way, a happy Mother's Day. And this is our wish to you guys. This is our wish to you moms. We want you to feel loved and blessed and greatly helped by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the only perfect parent in the universe who has promised to give our children your love. Thank you that you will watch over them wherever they go. Thank you that you will give them strength. Thank you that you love them even though you know them to the depths of their heart. We rely on your love as we seek to raise up godly children to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, we ask that you would remind us today to let go of fear and put that out, to not fuel that, but rather to grow in love, power, and self-control through your Spirit, to help our children see faith modeled. Help us, Lord, to believe that whatever else has happened, no matter how we've done as parents, no matter who we have as a partner, you will use our faith to grow the faith of those around us. You will be glorified, and in this we trust. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.